welcome to our show. My name is Malik and with me I have... Steph. <laughs> Hi Steph, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, thank you. That's great. Um, so as you guys know, this is our first episode. Um, uh, we are pretty new to this. Uh, I think especially for you Steph, am I right? Only for me, right? Malik <laughs> has done this before. He just hasn't told you guys about his previous like like podcasts but yeah first time for me yeah that's pretty much uh what has happened and how the show got along is because i personally wanted to really like this this podcast dream of mine um i don't know why it's gonna take us but i thought that steph you are like the perfect well nothing is perfect like... <laughs> because you are ridiculous in all the ways that i am not you are, the, you are the, yeah, yeah, the like the counterpoint, right? If I have, if there's a, I have a flip side to a coin, you are the flip side to that coin, um, <laughs> which is great, uh, which makes good content. So maybe, um, again, this is the first show. We don't know how it's gonna pan out to be and what it's gonna be about, but I think uh, it is fair to say that let's do a, a quick introduction of myself the man and yourself the lady of the show i guess it's only fair that people hear something about us and know a little bit about us as the start so a little bit about me and you can be the interviewer steph malik yes what was your childhood like oh my childhood um bearing in mind i can barely remember what happened last week um my childhood is it goes the same in my childhood. It's pretty much a blur. Um, <laughs> because you're stuck in it now, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's it's like uh, people who know me is always describe me as the the man who never grew up or the boy who never grew up. So that's that's in itself is a true is a true description of who I am. Um, but strictly speaking, the reason why it is that way is because I guess when I was growing up. I was pretty much the adult. The you must behave, you must do this, you must do that, or please yeah, be a good. Person, you were you were an adult when you were a child. Yeah, so I was pretty much the well-behaved child that listens to mom and dad. Um, I was pretty much the introvert, um, who don't speak up until I was spoken to. I was to the point where my my teachers at school actually gave me a gave my parents a lot of flack for not actually participating in class, for not uh, speaking up in class. Yes, I have proof of this in my in my you know record books. Yes, and my report book, uh, my teacher was right. Um, Malik should speak up more. He should learn to interact with his classmates and oh stuff like goodness. that. What I know, happened? right? What happened? <laughs> You ate that boy. <laughs> so what happened? I think, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot. Actually, I received a lot of these comments as I grew up, even from my like, uh, my uncles and stuff, right? Like Malik is always very quiet. What happened to him? Is he okay? Stuff like that. So, um, what interestingly happened was, um, I went to study abroad. So, <laughs> that kind of changed me a little bit. Uh, put me in avenues uh, or areas where I had no choice but to interact and to speak up. And no, no, this. Where did you go to study? So I went. I went to the states to study um, for a year. So that kind of leveled me up, right? Where uh, in the US? Were you in California? No, I was in uh, Boston. Where's that? Um, Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, Boston. Massachusetts. 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 Yeah, so I was there for for a period of time and that kind of like opened me up in a way. Mm. Uh, and but but the, the, the interesting part is uh with my group of friends I've always been this person that you know me. Right. Um so it so was I'm, in class in front of authority when your parents, your teachers, anytime there's an authority figure, then you sort of like clamp up and like you're super quiet when you were a kid. Yeah. But then with your friends, you would just be the same old Malik. The same then, old me, yeah. And then when you went overseas, you realized, no, I can be Malik no matter who I'm talking to, even yeah. authority figures. Yeah, 
pretty much because you're given the the sense of freedom to to yeah. kind of speak up and you are encouraged to speak up speak up and especially when you're the minority asian kid and minority asian muslim kid right everybody looks at you funny uh because this was just like like a few years after 9/11 everybody looks at you funny and uh and uh especially when you know oh you're muhammad like what <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the only the only friends i had back then were the european kids and we kind of bonded over football right so we played uh football a lot together with the turkish guys with the romanian guys the bulgarian guys and they are a jovial bunch you they they are so fun to to hang out with and they basically just don't care where you come from don't care about your background and they just like all they want to do is hey hey come on let's party malik let's go and party you know and that's that's all they do and and they're fun to be with right uh, there's no stigma around them and they always uh, treat you like one of their own to the point where even today i still have conversations with them uh, even though they are abroad and they have their own kids you know so so it's like it, that's that's the dynamic uh, relationship that i had so with with that when i came back here kind of changed my point of view about a lot of things um not being rebellious uh some people go and come back and become rebellious like oh why is the government like this why is the government like that i still have some respect for our government in some sense um uh, because i think that they are doing uh the right things for for i mean to a certain extent um uh, f- for the right reasons um so i have that i still have that inbuilt in me um but uh in a way the way i interact with people uh kind of has changed a little bit because i've come to a point where i know that whatever people think is kind of pointless to to account <laughs> it's like you don't really have to care about what people think because people think about stuff all the time and everybody have their own opinions right but it doesn't matter very much because most of them are just passing comments and you don't even meet these people again most of the time so um these are the things that i always have in build in me so it's like yeah whatever uh so that's why i can be the jovial person that i am and really not care about what people think a lot so that's me not really an introduction a brief introduction although i'm supposed to do a brief introduction but yeah i think it explains a lot it explains why you enjoy talking it explains why you want to get on a podcast to like communicate with people who you've never met before yeah why this isn't scary at all because you people can think what they want you know it's a right now it's a one way conversation right you're talking to unknown listeners and Pretty much, it yeah bother you cuz yeah you don't really care that much what people think Yeah, it's I think it's important trait to have and it opens you up to so many possibilities and the fear factor of trying something new almost goes to zero. Right? So like for example, um uh before uh what my current job is, which is a topic for another session. <laughs> um why secret? Uh, secret uh? Well, you can't say everything in one shot. So you got to keep some for the good for the good bit. the good bits can be kept for later. Um I have done a lot of stuff, right? Like a lot of uncommon uh things which you wouldn't even think of sometimes. Like like for example, I've worked as a receptionist uh in a small little company that was training healthcare professionals, right? So who would have thought like a young man being a receptionist that was my internship job a lot of people were looking for ooh i want to work in this big company i want to work in what all the big name companies but lo and behold when this company came to me i'm like okay why not let's try and it was an experience right you are dealing with customer service you're dealing with uh, operations on the side because i have managers and then they're dealing with uh, small little operations and i'm helping them and it was an it was a big eye opener uh you have to be a bit uh, humble and but the the form of satisfaction comes in 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 big amounts because like you actually see real people 
like this healthcare professionals are usually in the 50s, the 60s, and they are basically just desperate to do something, right? They want to fill their time up and they are not well educated. Some of them, they don't have the qualifications that most of us do, um, but they are willing to contribute. So you see the real human nature uh, that is out there, that is not common to the environment that we live in. For example, if you live in a corporate life, you don't see this kind of people all the time. And you will only see them in where? In old folks' home. And they are attending to the old folks, stuff like that. And, and they are really genuine people and they are really there to care for uh, the people that they are looking after. So it's like, man, these people are amazing. Like, why don't I see more of these people around, right? So, so these small little experiences kind of make... Uh, push me to the to different boundaries like like I want to know more I want to do more of these things I want to do more of that like uh, another example I can give is I worked as a chef for a period in time right because I wanted um, there was an there was a there was a uh, what do you call that um, an experiment for me like I love to cook and I kind of I wanted to know how a professional kitchen operate, right? Um, in a in a normal uh, environment where you're working at home, you kind of yeah you have your your little stove, you have your little chopping board, and you just cook, and it's like fine yeah tada I have I made a meal, right? Um, but how does a professional kitchen look like? Like what does a restaurant? What does the back room of a restaurant look like? The only reference point that you have is probably from shows like Gordon Ramsay shows and stuff like that, like all these reality shows, right? But is it actually like that? Uh, how does a chef actually work? Does he really shout to the back room and stuff like that? So I kind of was very interested. So I took a took a pick, uh, applied to a job. And immediately got it. I was like, what? You guys don't need someone experience? Like, what? What's going on? Okay, so I jumped on it. Um, so I had to lie a little bit in my resume. Like, I, I can't, I didn't put my, my degree and stuff like that. So I was just like, oh, I'm just an O-level person, you know? So, <laughs> so got to get in, right? So I went in and you meet so many interesting characters in there, right? Uh, people that you don't actually meet on a regular basis, right? And you see how hard they work is unbelievable, right? They have basically have to stand 12 hours a day doing what they do in a hot heat and then they barely get the, the appreciation that, that, that they, they deserve, right? Because day in, day out, 12-hour shifts, it's not an easy thing to do. Not many people can actually do that job, right? And 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 you you see all these characters, and you you um you kind of take um take pity on them in some ways, but you kind yeah that you kind of resonate with them when when especially when um coming from not a well-to-do family, right? So you kind of resonate that. Yeah, they do work hard and they are actually doing it just to have a meal for like the next month, you know, so and they are really feeding from hand to mouth and they're just trying to make a living. So you, you kind of feel for these people in a way and, and really for the sake of that matter, what is happening now in the in in in, in to us with this virus is kind of I feel it's like a great equalizer, right? for everybody just to see that uh, jumping topics here but, <laughs> but in a way it does feel like that right like everybody's kind of like yeah so what if you are earning multi-million dollars right now suddenly you might not even have work or work suddenly gets disrupted right and and, and who's I don't think it's it's really an equalizer I do think that um, some people are in a better position to cope with what's happening than than others right yeah, the scramble to to make sure that kids at home have computers because, you know, if parents are working from home, the parents are using a computer and if there's only one computer at home, it just really makes it hard to do online learning if you have like two or three kids and then two working parents and 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 a grandparent who has to watch TV to 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 while away the boredom. So no, I mean like it, it's 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 a good reminder that that the blessings that we have um are more than we account for. Mm. Um, but I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it has equalized us equally. 
uh, yeah, I can, I can, I can agree with you on that. Um, but on a certain aspect, it kind of shines certain people that are out there that's working hard, and oh yeah, for sure. You know, right? Yeah, like, I agree with that. I mean, like, like the, the 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 people who are working that we don't spend enough time thinking about, right? Yeah, like exactly. The boys. Yep. And the social workers and, the, you know, the nurses who are, are not from Singapore, like foreign, and they can't even go home. They can't even rest. They come and take leave. Yep. Um, everyone who, I remember like when they, when they announced like the stricter um, circuit breaker measures, I, I had a couple of friends who were starting to get tired with all the COVID stuff already right. because they are actually in, in healthcare, right? Right. And in that moment, I realized, hey, everybody is going to start staying home from tomorrow onwards, but these people have to continue going to work. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, there's something psychologically like tiresome about that, right? You know right. you're fighting the hard fight, but on top of that, everybody gets to stay home. Except for you. <laughs> on the flip side is those people that get to stay home is like, oh no, you know, I'm, I'm staying home or suddenly, oh no, I, I cannot, I need to go out, I need to go out. See, the there's, there's a disparity between yeah. the two the two sides, right? So on yeah. one side is like, oh no, I have to go to work while people are staying at home. But the guys that are staying at home are not actually appreciating that fact that they are actually at home and they can be with their loved ones for once without actually making an excuse for that, right? Like last time you have to, oh, a boss, I have to take leave. I cannot, you know, I have to send my kids to school. But now, it's like, I am staying home. I have my kids here. I have my, I mean, I don't have kids, but putting <laughs> my shoes in, 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 in their perspective, you have the kids there. I mean, um, it's a good time to actually spend uh, with your family and actually yeah. appreciate that time that you have together, right? Other than, than just uh, focusing on, on yeah. work and work. work. Even if you don't have kids, like elderly parents, siblings that you live with, but then you like don't really spend time with them because your working hours are different, or just whoever is in your household, right? Yeah. I, I, mean, I think one of the biggest changes is like I'm so used to picking and choosing when, where, how I socialize. Right. And then you overlook the people who you live with. You're constantly going out and you're constantly on the phone or you're on some kind of like platform or social media, right? Um, and now you really have to focus front and center on the people at home, who they are, and then commit to spending time with them. So that, that's been an interesting change. But another change I thought was like kind of cool was um, introverts learning the limits of their introversion, right? So oh, yes. Happen, I was like, you know, this is going to be great. I'm an introvert. This is going to be perfect. Working from home will be like a breeze, like a walk in the park, right? right. And I started um, working from home and almost like never leave the house, kind of like go and grab, like my, my movement was like bed, breakfast table, kitchen, breakfast right. table, desk, bed, like, you know, right. and, and it's the same, same uh, pattern. But I think by, okay, not bad, nah. by day five, I started going nuts. <laughs> like I didn't leave the house for five days. And on the fifth day, I'm like, holy moly. And I remember thinking, you mean this is how the extroverts have been feeling all this time? Like, since day one, they've been feeling like this. Like, my empathy for, for extroverts just went super high. And right. and I think in the past, like, introverts were always, like, fighting for more empathy from the extroverts, right? It's like, right. oh my god, I need, I need to go home, I need to be alone. Like, this, right, right, like right, right. nobody understands me. Um, but then I, I realized, hey, we also don't really understand what it feels like for an extrovert to be stuck at home. Right, exactly. Yeah. Goodness. Well, I, I can't I can I can't give you an explanation because I'm an introvert as well. <laughs> Which is so weird. Two introverts having a podcast is like I, I don't even know how this, this this is literally why we know that there are limits to our introversion. <laughs> that we stay at home to the point where hey, I can't talk to myself anymore. I need to talk to imaginary friends people who will listen to us but I have no idea who these people are and even will exist but never mind I'm going to send it out into the universe and see if we get a response yeah they're in for a real treat so anyway that's that's a small introduction about me although it's not a it's not a brief introduction and it's not touching the points of it started off with one question you started off with one question and it was it, a great question and it, I mean like it explained who you are it explained why you're doing this it explains like your 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 mindset 
in terms of like how you relate to people? True. I think it's a great question. Bloody okay. hell. Okay. Okay. If you don't like your answer, if you don't like your answer, that's not my fault. <laughs> I like my question. Okay. Good question. Good question. <laughs> Okay, so the question for you, Steph, is how do you, how did we end up creating this podcast? Uh, okay, I, for me, the, my side of the story is very easy. La. Basically, you asked me if I was interested in doing a podcast and I was like, yeah, sure. What's that? So I kind of like said yes first before really figuring out what it was. Um, but I think, I think a few things. I think, you know, the backdrop of it is if not for the fact that you are working from home and you feel like you have less people to talk to. Um, that's one. Two, I think, you know, all this COVID stuff is just depressing news. And after a while, you just want to have a laugh, right? You just want to have friends that you can just forget about what's happening in the world out there and then just have a laugh. Um, and all of that can come together in the form of a podcast because one part is you and me talking and just having a laugh, right? If nobody listens, so be it. But if somebody listens and we can provide some kind of uh, comic relief to being at home, why not? Yep. And I guess uh, the last part is because we've worked together before, um, not for a very long time, but because we were working on so many projects together uh, we, we understand our cadence, right? Our conversational cadence quite well. Right. And uh, it's, it's an easy cadence, meaning it's, it's quite, it's quite uh, what is the word for it? Natural, I guess? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Yeah? yeah. Um, so the podcast and my involvement was as simple as all of those things plus me saying yes without thinking too hard about <laughs> if, what, where, when, how. Full stop. <laughs> Great, right? So that's the that's I guess that's a that's a good introduction. Um, I, I feel like I'm definitely the more introverted of the two. Now now thinking back to how my one question ended up in this like barrage of story, right? Like watch out we went to like the US, then we came back to Singapore, then we got COVID. Like the answer was like time travel. Then. That's true. But <laughs> I, I also understand that you do have a background or like uh like a you do have family in the States, right? Yeah, I do. I do. And, and you do have connections uh, there. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, I'm one of three siblings. I've got an older sister and a younger brother. Both of them went to the States to study and then basically loved life in the US so much that they found someone to marry, someone to settle down with, have kids and, you know, build a life out there. Um, so for me, it's, it's it's bittersweet, right? Like if I want to see them, hang out with them or be with them and their family, it means traveling up once a year to commit to spending quality time with them. And then now with all the travel restrictions, I've discovered new ways to, to, to connect with them as well. I mean, obviously we always used to do like video or audio calls, um, but the nice thing is that because everyone's work from home, so we're not so restricted. Um, in right. the past, like I can only talk to them on the weekend, yeah. um, but now it's like, hey, they also can have like lunch together or dinner together right. um, over video call. Right. And it, it actually is a bit of deja vu because I remember talking to some childhood friends of mine back when handphones didn't exist, right? So right. it was a real privilege to be able to use the house phone because the house phone will be shared with the dial-up modem and the house phones don't have incoming calls. So if you're on the call and someone tries to call your mom or your dad, they'll get an engaged tone if you're on the call. Um, and, and so we used to like, uh, I don't know, like be, be very grateful for sneaking out in the middle of the night just to use the phone so that you have someone to talk to and being able to just hang out with your friends on the phone. So one of the things that I had a good bunch of friends, we would schedule a call when Friends was playing on Channel 5. Right. And we would only be on the phone for that 30 minutes. And then we would have to get off in case someone tried to call the phone because the phone was disengaged for 30 minutes. And that was the only way you can watch TV with your friends because you can't yeah, go to your friends' house. Yeah, <laughs> wow. right. Young, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, right. no exit permit. But your parents are like, ha, ah, what are you doing? It's dinner time. It's so late at night. You're, right, right, what right. are you doing? So the only way to like watch TV with your friends is to be on the phone. And, and you're not talking. You're just laughing when you're supposed to laugh. 
And then like advertisement, you will say some shit or you will like go and pick up something from the kitchen and then come back. And I feel myself reliving that life again now. Right. Like we, we would pick up a video call or an audio call with someone who you're close to, but you can't physically be with them. And you're sharing content simultaneously. Um, it's, it's pretty magical. And if you allow yourself to go back into your childhood brain, it's a damn short feeling. Uh. That's nice. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, family in the States. Mainly my siblings, but um, me and my mom are here in Singapore. So nice. we are looking forward to when all these travel restrictions are lifted so that we can go and visit them again. But in the meantime, FaceTime, WhatsApp video, great technologies. I know. I think we are pretty fortunate that we have all of this. Imagine if I we know. did. I know. <laughs> when I was in uni, I used to be in a long-distance relationship. Right. And trunk calls were so expensive back then. It's not even funny. Like, right. I, but today, the thought of a long-distance relationship is like, ah, easy peasy. <laughs> I know, right? Like, what's, <laughs> what's a long-distance relationship? <laughs> yeah, like, come on, you're practically there, you know? I know. Um, and, and ironically, the, the couples I know who are cohabiting right now in this climate are conversely missing their family because oh. they're living with their boyfriend or girlfriend. But because the restriction is like you cannot go and visit people who you don't live with, right. it's, uh, it's the opposite kind of separation. So last right. time it's like, oh, long distance with your boyfriend, but now it's long distance with your, your parents. Family. Yeah, your parents. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting yeah it's a, a very interesting mindset change uh, I guess we all have that that it's a very common human thing to have that grass is greener kind of feeling where we get we get what we ask for but sometimes it's like oh no I want that whole thing back <laughs> yeah that's an interesting thing okay back to our main talking point so in this actually in this episode um um we were pushing for uh, Steph. I believe you have been on a on a personal project about music and coding, right? And and I know knowing you, who is a uh, basically just a nerd who likes to read, um, Steph actually reads like at least ten books a week. Right, she's that kind of person. No, 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 I don't. <laughs> so, so it's another introduction about Steph, ta-da. But on a on a side note, I think you, uh, what I what I was fascinated with was when you were speaking to me about your 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 new discovery about music and actually it's not a new discovery. I lie. It has it has always been something that you you were fascinated about. And tell us a little bit about, about this thing. So, I love music. Right. And I love it at a level that I don't quite know how to explain also. Um, but it, it's everything. It's like, um, it, it changes the way you think. It changes how you feel. It changes how your body moves. It um, speaks to you at a level that is not verbal. Um, and, and when you really think about what sound and music is, it makes sense because so much of music, it's about vibrations and changes in air pressure. And that actually is a physical manifestation of sound. Now, if you just use other forms of communication like talking or reading or um, thinking, right? Uh, it, it doesn't have that same effect simply because it's just a completely different medium. So I've always loved it, but I really sucked at music lessons when I was a kid. Like I was your typical 80s kid. So that's something else about me, right? I'm an early 80s kid. And back then, music class means piano lessons once a week. Um, my grandmother was huge on like classical music. So she wow. would come by during the day and be our like extra music class teacher. So I've had <laughs> like a music teacher once a week and then grandma will come every other day 
to like oh, babysit us. And it was hot call. <laughs> like piano class, we would sit at the piano and she would put two erasers on the back of our hands. And as I'm playing the piano, I cannot drop the eraser. Oh my goodness. Wow. Meanwhile, I have to sit up straight and then there's another eraser on my head. So I have to balance the ones on my hands and the one on my head because good posture is so important in playing the instrument, right? Wow. Okay. I've never heard of that, but this is new. Okay. I mean, I think it might be something that my grandmother thought of just because she took some fun out of torturing us. Um, That's <laughs> but that, okay. that was piano lessons. I hated it. Because right. it's just drills. It's like right. scales, memorize the notes, play it over and over and over and over again. Meanwhile, right. you have these like music books and it's like squiggly wigglies everywhere. And, and the lines are so close and everything you have to process. It was just too much. Um, so it was the first thing I quit when I was old enough to quit anything. Um, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. This, this is a very interesting question. Was your grandma, was your grandma like a performer, like a like classical performer? No, um, no, yeah, uh, no, I don't think so. She's just one of those um, grannies who grew up in an era where the only kind of education girls would get was in music, dance, sewing, calligraphy, like the art arts oh wow so it's something that she continued into her old age right so right. when when she when we were older and she didn't have so much babysitting duties she would spend more time uh doing opera singing or going for her own piano lessons or getting into like ikibana and and artistic things right right um, and she always said that that's the stuff that girls need to be good at. Okay. Yeah, but that, that's the change in our generation, right? Right. So of all the girly things that girls are supposed to be good at, I, I chose ballet because it's just ah, so nice. much okay. easier to right. move your body to music than actually making music. Um, and, and that says so much about my love for music, right? I appreciate it. I can feel rhythm quite naturally in my body. I can express myself to to through music. But you ask me to make music, I'm like, no, I I, I don't know how that works, and and I don't think I, I'll ever be able to play an instrument. Right. So fast forward to now, um, I've always wanted to think of shortcuts, like how can I make music without playing the piano, without playing a guitar, like without playing an instrument? Because that is just so much eye-hand coordination and, and finesse on your micro movements. And it really sucks to hear something in your head, but not have your fingers create that thing that you heard in your head, right? right? The, the dissonance is, is for someone slightly, okay, no, I'm a full-on perfectionist. It <laughs> kills me, right? It's like, no, that's not what it's supposed to sound like. <laughs> right. Uh, so the, the thing that we haven't talked about is the fact that in the past five years, I started to learn how to program. Mm. Um, and the backstory probably, uh, is it for this episode? Well, if you want to go through it, sure. Wow, this story is going very long. Okay, then no, okay, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, short, long story short, I learned how to do some basic programming. And I thought programming was one of the most exciting things that I learned in my adult life because it had previously been a very sciencey subject and huh? I'm more of a humanities student. But that was not always the case. So I grew up loving both science and arts. It's just that when we were kids and early 80 kids will know this, when you get to JC, you have to choose. 
you cannot have both, right? So up to O levels, you can do both arts and science and math and everything as much as you want. But then when you went to JC, you had to go either science or arts or what's the last one? Uh? What's it? That's like accounting and um, social something. Economy. Econ- yeah. Econ, something. right? That was like, like, like an in-between. Uh. Right. Um, and, and I chose the humanities because I love that more than science. But right. it's not like I don't like science at all. Uh. Anyways, yes. so you learn how to program. Then you realize, hey, programming is like language. Mm-hmm. It's like finding a way to communicate. It is so much about human behavior, about the way you think, about how you express yourself, about um, how you organize your thoughts, make an argument. Um, so I used to be a debater in secondary school. So organizing in an argument to be persuasive is like so important. And I was learning programming after I had graduated from law school. So again, the idea of logic of clarity, of communication, getting something across. I was like, hey, there's, there's the clear connection between how programmers think and how people in the social or humanities or sciences think as well. Right. Um, so why not music as well? Right. right. When you think about music, it's just another kind of language. It's just that the symbols and the characters that they use are esoteric. Um, The clef, the treble, the lines, the notes, all these things have meaning, right? It's it's semantic and language is also semantic and coding is semantic. So symbols and characters, when a programmer looks at score sheets, they just see a different annotation or code. And they would ask themselves, okay, when I see a blob, what does that mean to me? In the same way where if I see a horizontal line in Chinese, what does that mean to me, right? And if I see the letter A, what does that mean to me as an English reader? Right. Um, Once you get over that hurdle, then you start asking, okay, from a language point of view, music and computer science share a lot in common. Um, Is there anything else that they share in common? And that's when I started reading more books about music. And let me just correct Malik. I do not read 10 books a week. (laughs) That is intense. Okay, maybe 11. I would love. (laughs) (laughs) I I like reading. So I read as much as I can. Um, but this book, How Music Works, talks about the science and the math behind music. And there's so much science and math in music. So the science in music is, you know, a lot of physics, understanding sound, sound waves, frequency, uh, pitch, timber. Um, and the math in music is a lot about timing right? Tempo, uh, loops, frequency of when notes come out in a bar, how many beats per minute, how that changes the cadence and tempo of the song. Um, And if you dig deeper into it, there's some pretty complex math in music. And it makes you wonder how composers make music without understanding that math. And then you realize, actually, they do. So when I was learning piano with erasers on my hand, I barely scratched the, the, the surface of what making music is about. All I was learning is how to play an instrument and how to read a language. And that was like the musical notation. Right. So th- this is very interesting to me. I think in some points, I do agree that there's some science to music. But when you mention about the mathematical aspects of music, this is very interesting. Why? What, what, what do you mean by this mathematical aspect to creating music, Alice? So it's, it starts from understanding sound waves. Right. Right. So um, every sound has a certain 
sound wave that can be regular or irregular. And the difference between a noise and a note is how regular and how repetitive the sound wave is. So the, when you hear a bus driving by, that's noise. It's not a note. And that sound wave would be like jiggity-jaggity and like weird and, and doesn't repeat in a, in a uh, symmetric way. But then when you play a note on an instrument or a computer, the sound wave is symmetrical and repeating. So that what you hear is a clear frequency and a clear pitch. So if you understand the physics of sound waves, then you know that any instrument that can create an even uh, sound, which is a note, is vibrating at a certain frequency that operates at multiples. And so one note that is played at 110 hertz, which is the A note, also includes within it um, a, a sound wave that is twice the frequency, three times the frequency, and four times. So it's at 110, 220, 330, 440. Right. And the reason why they're at multiples is because of the way the instrument is made and the way that the vibrations are created. Okay. Okay. Math. Math. Right? Okay. Multiples right. and factors of frequency when you have a very regular repeating vibration. And some oh, and so just so you understand, 110, 220, 330, 440 are basically different octaves with the same note. So 110 is A at a lower octave, 220 is the next octave up. Right. It's still the A note, the so A note. on and so forth. Right. right. Okay. So, so the math gets even more complex and interesting when you start playing chords or when you start playing with instruments that have very irregular um, vibration patterns like drums, right? Mm. A piano is always going to create very regular sounds because it's tuned. Right. But some instruments aren't tuned and then they create um, very raspy, organic sounds that make us interested in hearing them because they are slightly irregular without being completely out of whack and, and noise. Right. Um, but that also explains why old people think drums are noisy. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's more irregular than a right. piano, right? So right. if you have a kid going like whacking the C key on a piano, ding, 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 it's quite different from that same kid whacking his drum. It's, it, the, the, the pleasure that you perceive from that sound is going to be different because the sound wave is different. Uh, and the okay. the um the nice multiples are gonna be different. Right. right? I guess so that, I guess that yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Right. Yeah, so that's that's the math right. of the music. Um there's also a lot of math in tempo. So you think about beats and right. how many beats you have per minute and how the sound fits into the beat, whether right. it's a half beat, full beat. Um, and knowing the math behind beats and tempo will change how uh, dissonant the sound is or consonant. So consonant means that the sound is like uh, matching up and lining up very, very nicely. Um, and there's no cancelling out of the sound waves. But right. dissonance is where the, 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 the up pressure and the down pressure is happening at the same time. So you cancel each other and there's like white noise. Uh, okay, okay, I get it. Right. Yeah, and that's where you get like rasp, right, in the song. Right. Yeah. So science and math of music. Um, once you can see the science and math of music, it's not very hard to move on to coding music. Uh, coding is extremely mathematical, logical, and can create sound for, I mean, computers have been able to create sound since the computer was first invented, right? So Alan Turing, who invented the first analytical machine, basically 
invented sounds so that humans could hear how computers work because he felt like the feedback was important. Right. right today it's kind of like if you don't have instant feedback you don't know if something is working which is right. why designers will make power switches that light up or that depress or whoever like a clicking sound right that that user um feedback is so important and so turing said hey i'm gonna make my computer make sounds so that you know when the function is done or you know when he's done running Right. Um, he never planned to use the machine to make music. It was right. only much, much later programmers um, embraced the power of code and said, why, why can't we make tunes music using technology? I mean, there's, there's software, right? There's sound software. What is the code behind that? How do we bring code closer to music than just being an interface for, you, for, for musicians to tune their music or change and alter their music? Um, and so things like Sonic Pi came along and you know a lot about Sonic Pi in the past two weeks of exploring it. Um, but I think the it's, it's hard. Okay, I think it's an interesting challenge to talk about computer music without being able to show it. Um, I'll try. So, what, 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 what? Um, I, I guess you've been reading a few books about this. What are the main like points about about this this common medium, or, or rather, a medium where you are transversing across different. Uh, forms. One is coding is more like an uh, artist, uh, or more like a scientific way of not, uh, creating something versus a music where, in a traditional sense, you are actually writing, or rather, you the way you write music is basically to play an instrument, right? Yeah. And then you have to understand how the instrument sounds. You have to even go down to the point of tuning it and stuff like that. That's like a physical aspect to it. So. So, how how do you see these two aspects of very different formats of expression come together uh, in a in a in maybe in a in a more clear manner now that we have stuff like software that can help us? So, think of. Computer programming and music as both having the same starting point. You make code by writing it and right. you make music by writing it down as well. Mm. It's just okay. that you cannot produce the sound when you write music, but you're right. making music, right? right? So that's a great starting point. They both require language. That language needs to be written. Right. Anything else beyond the written parts is the performance of what's in writing, right? right? So if a piano sees the score, they then play the instrument according to the instructions given by the composer. Right. With programming, the computer reads the code and then performs the instructions given by the programmer. Right. So the equivalent then is the computer is the instrument. Right. It is being played by the programmer, but with the help of things like compilers and, and what, what not. Right, right. right. The, the, the technical transition from what's written and what's performed requires some translation in the same way that when you press a key, there is some translation from the movement of the key to the creation of the sound, mm. right? Mm. Um, and the parts that are distinct, so these are common parts, but the distinct part is the way you play the key has information as well, right? right. How hard, how fast, um, how you tune, yep. um, but with computer programming, when you run the code, whatever tuning or however the, the translation between a high level language to the computer language is already set. 
So the writing of the code doesn't change or cannot change the way it's being executed the same way that a pianist can. So there's a lot more real-time uh, calibration that a pianist can do, but that a programmer cannot. Right. So do you, do you think, I mean, coming to that, in that level of, yes, I can translate a note uh, into a computer program, the computer program can basically be my instrument, right? And technically speaking, if I learn a little bit about musical theory, uh, I can just write up a, a program to play like a melody, right? Yes, rightfully can. speaking, right? So do you think that the reverse is true? Let's say, for example, we take like a very good musician and we teach them how to program. Do you think they would be able to create tracks without even touching their, their instruments and reach that level of, of uh, proficiency as they can with their, with their instruments? Do you think we can reach that, that future? I think so. I, I think so on the assumption that we understand enough about sound and how it perce perceives sound so that the computer can replicate that sound. The, the parts that I'm more hesitant is this idea of timber, right? Which comes from, from wood or right. it comes from natural materials that change the way something sounds. That's right. my first hesitation. A computer will always be regular. If you want it to create like irregular sounds, that has to be pre-programmed. Right. Right. Which is why when the synthesizer first came out, it everything sounded very electronic. You right. couldn't make it sound like a piano. But today you have a very close approximation because you now know how to manipulate timber to make it sound like that. But can you make a synthesizer sound like a violin where there's so much emotion that comes from two strings rubbing against each other? Right. right. And, and where violins care so much about an individual violin because the way that the violin is made, the way that the wood is sanded down changes how it sounds to them at that level. Right. right. Um, theoretically, if you can identify which parts of the sound wave are affected by the shape and the material of the violin, you can replicate it. But if you can't, then I think we're limited. Yeah. Right. No, on a side note, I think anything anything that rubs against each other will produce some form of emotion. So that's, that's a given. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was wondering when in this podcast you would say something that would just floor me and I have no words. There you go. Okay, surprise. I, this, what is the timestamp on this podcast? It's, it's been an hour. Well done. Surprise. So for, for whoever's listening, this is the longest that I've spoken to Malik before he's actually dropped a jaw-dropping thing. Right. Okay, so so pretty much um <laughs> yeah, so I, I You think, can't even get over your own joke. <laughs> it's quite funny. So um back 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 to our topic at hand. Um I think I, I do I do I mean ever since you've you started talking to this thing about me, I do have a uh personal uh love to music, right? Um never had the chance to go to classes. Uh, the only classes I took was uh, drum classes. So, so on a, a personal level, I do play drums a little bit. Um, but, but yes, the 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 fact is coming from um, my little level of research and little level of reading. Uh, by the way, my research is just a YouTube research. So, <laughs> so that's I, the main source of research today. But, but, uh, but. In a sense, in some sense, I think you're right. There are, there is, at this technical age, we can almost say that nothing is impossible, right? Um, um, you can create 
sounds which are even impossible to create in real life at this at this uh, in the world that we live today so coming to a point where can we can we have programmers that can create music i think there the there are people out there that's creating music who are basically just programmers uh, but on the flip side i think that also the the other the other side of the story where there are musicians who's learning how to program and creating music based on code right um i haven't had the luxury of knowing these people or never have i ever found them yet but hopefully one day we will see one of these guys coming up and we will actually get to enjoy a musical orchestra but yeah. with no instruments right um yeah. i think we live in a in a in a in a time where this is coming true especially now that we can't even meet each other for a simple conversation so i think i think this kind of development will come to fruition sooner than we expect hmm. i get let me let me set up um the second episode as well to talk yeah, sure. a little bit about emotion um because i know who was coming up next and right. and and i want to warm up the topic a little bit because when when thinking about music so much of it also relates to emotion yes and and the math and science of it includes neuroscience so the thing about music is that it is inherently subjective in the same way that a different shaped uh, violin can have a different sound each of our ears are unique right, right. they're shaped differently and how we hear sound is different so you remember last time there was this challenge of um is the dress blue or gold yes i remember that okay exactly so some people saw one color some people saw the other color and after right. all that debate in the end it's just how your cones in your eye were right and right. and that's what reminded us that we are each unique human beings and there's no right or wrong we really just have different perspectives and you need to learn how to see something from someone else's perspective in order to understand the world that they experience right yep. and and music is the same way so we can play the same note and two people will say oh this is high this is low Um, or this sounds louder or this sounds softer or this sounds like nicer more pleasant and this doesn't sound and they literally are are perceiving the music different because their eardrums are vibrating differently to the same sound so the sound right. is creating air pressure differences but then the eardrum vibrations are different so if you could measure ear eardrum vibration you realize two different vibrations means two different sounds so they are literally hearing different things in their own heads right which is different from computer um uh, software so if you're making comp- uh, music on computers the computer will give you a sine wave based on what you can consider fidelity in the sound right this right. vibration is literally the vibration that you have just created but that's not what you heard in your head that's right that's right um and and this connects to this connects to neuroscience and how we feel because the different vibrations create triggers differently in our heads and therefore make us feel differently depending on what we heard and and there is so much science into what kind of vibrations what frequency um what pitch what timbre actually evokes emotion and this is the kind of stuff that musicians and scientists and programmers can really have a very interesting conversation around because right. musicians are trying to evoke emotion with everything they do their story that they're trying to tell their language of communication is sound to create feeling right, right. think about uh, movies think about television shows where the background music is so important you know if you have a critical moment in a horror movie you have to play the right music to get exactly the right emotion right and right. It, and that emotion needs to be able to change when the camera pans to a character who's just being a bit of a doofus right? right think of any like you know uh scream where where some characters are very serious about the the, the scary shit that's happening but then some characters are just like being idiots and like right. just getting themselves killed right and right. and the music needs to bring in that comedy and that sense of fear at the same time like right. dark humor so when i use the english word dark humor you and i understand what that means yep. but 
a musician would be like, oh, how do I create dark humor musically? Yeah. I mean, you can't solve that problem. You can't answer that question unless you know the science and the math behind music and how to create high fidelity um, music that matches exactly your intention based right. on what people are hearing. Right. Right. Um, right. But I think that's where a lot of like, exciting work is happening because a programmer making music is tapping into both his logical brain as well as his emotive self because he's listening to the music and trying to convey something with that music. Right. And the musician that picks up coding is tapping onto the rational side of their brain because they, they have a very clear objective and a very clear purpose to writing their music. They're writing music in order to trigger a certain emotion. And that's, and that's where they need to be rational and logical about their problem solving as well. Right. Yep. I agree. I, I agree with you totally because being a programmer myself, yeah, you, you do kind of um, think that way uh, and, and you can't help it. Because you just it's just the way you learn things or the way you kind of process things. So, so here's my question for you. Yeah, what's the question? Do you think you're more of a programmer or more of a musician? That's a very interesting question, uh, yeah. Steph. See, because, I have good questions. Yes, because the, 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 the fact, the reason why I say it is very interesting is because this brings me back to when I was 6, 17. Um, I was in a Your science. Childhood? Yeah, my I was in a science class, right? And and the interesting thing was my my teacher in class told me when I was seventeen. Yeah, my teacher in class was telling me that I am a humanities student. <laughs> I'm like, what? How labels, right? Is like, that possible, right? I don't understand. And for I, everyone's benefit, Malik is an '80s kid as well. Don't. <laughs> Don't believe him if he says otherwise. It's just yeah. yeah I just finished JC, <laughs> so you know. So so anyway, like, right. I, I I I was so shocked when she said that to me because I was in a science class and throughout my growing up years, I've always been in a science class. Right, I've studied triple yeah. science. I did all science work, right? And never was I inclined to do humanities work. Like I could not for the life of me do literature. I cannot for the life of me do history. Cannot. It's impossible. It's just the things just don't resonate to me. Um, the closest humanities I could do was geography because it is more of a science subject, right? Um, so it was a surprise to me that my teacher told me, you are a humanities kid. And I'm like, what? That's not possible so you asking me this question brings me back to that period in time again do i think that i am a science kid a programmer more or am i a musician or other am i am i inclined to the music side more something that i cannot give you a defined answer uh, based on feeling or based on uh, my thought but i can give you a defined answer based on my experience right so my experience with music is almost nothing. So with that regard, although I love music and I do listen to all kinds of music, all genres, in that regard, I can, I can attest to the fact that I am more of a programmer than, than someone that makes music, right? So just in a similar manner that, or, that you are, I guess, because I don't play a musical instrument on a regular. Um, the most I can do is talk. If you what consider that. music <laughs> do you listen to when you code? Interesting. Uh, when I code, or oh, I listen to classical music. No. Yes. So really? yeah. So classical music is my my go to when I need to focus. What? Yeah. Um, even when the the funny part is even when I work out, a lot of people like to listen to hard rock music like EDM stuff like that. But I love to listen to classical music when I'm running. Or jogging, or you even when are I'm crazy. Yeah. What songs yeah, so, do you run to? So, so it's just basically just plain old classical music. What? Like, but it can't. It can't be like sleepy. I don't know. I don't find them sleepy. Um, I I find them soothing. Um, you should okay, so um, include the... in the comments section below your podcast a link to your Spotify. Playlist or YouTube playlist okay, doesn't we, matter we for running <laughs> yeah. because this this would be of interest to your listeners. Uh, maybe if I have listeners, <laughs> if we have listeners, in so, 
anyway, case, so you in, just put the link, just nobody would you click on it lah. So in, in on the flip side, um, music that I listen to when I want, when I'm doing brainless stuff, right, are the noisy kind of music. So that's more of when I when I'm not using my cognitive brain or muscle brain muscle, I will listen to noisy songs because it's just. But your workout is. Not using your brain, what? So that's that's the fascinating part, which I don't understand. Workouts which require I know focus. I don't know. Could be could be focus. Um, but that's that's how I don't know. I find it very interesting, like the way I tend to switch my music. Sometimes when I I need complete focus, I need to listen to classical music. It's like I can't deal with anything else. Uh, okay, okay, okay. One more question. Yeah, go ahead. If you had to play music for your Scoby, what music would you play? Classical music. Go to music. Classical music. No question about it. They will listen to Bach, Beethoven, all Tchaikovsky. Oh man, that's great. All those kind oh of music. They will listen to that music. They will just you grow. <laughs> They'll just grow. Your music taste <laughs> is sick it atas. Or either that or they will listen to like uh, Broadway shows. You know, it's like emotion. Like, yeah. So yeah. good. Yeah. So th- those are, yeah, drama. So those are the kind of, yeah, so when I'm, when I'm in need of focus, those are the kind of music that I listen to. Not the, not the, not the, the noisy kind of music, like the rock music. I mean, I do listen to rock music and you know this. But, uh, I suddenly have new perspective to when you play rock music in the office. Yeah. You're basically so, not using your brain. No, I'm not. When I'm not using my brain, that's why oh I listen to. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, those times that you were playing rock music, you just stop thinking. Yeah, I just stop thinking. It's just, it's just, I'm doing, it basically means that I'm doing an activity but I don't need to think out loud or I don't have to think thoroughly. It's just basically just doing like, like, yeah, that's pretty much that. Um, all those meetings, all those. <laughs> oh, I got caught in the red. <laughs> like, <laughs> I got caught in the red. Red-handed. I got caught red-handed. <laughs> I never knew through that. I always thought you were playing rock music before the the meeting because you were getting yourself hyped up, or you're like, you well, know, you getting can... ready to like. In some ways, it is getting yourself hyped up, getting the energy level. No, up. you're switching off your brain. I'm getting the energy. Level. So, so like okay. for example, Never mind. When... I don't work with you anymore. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you are not my problem anymore. So listen, listen. Uh, the other, the other flip side is when you said uh, you do dance, right? Yeah. Um, dancing is just an expression of movement to the music. So, for example, yeah. when I play rock music, it is more of getting that level of energy up in preparation for something that is probably mundane or boring. So it is just to push that energy up so that when we ride through the mundane parts, you start off at a high and you slowly get down to that level. So that's purpose to it. <laughs> Which means that every time you play rock music is because you expect something mundane to happen next. Uh, not necessarily. <laughs> You do know my powers of logic will get you to a point where you cannot back away from this problem. Yeah, so our next rock track is... <laughs> <laughs> I know, there have been moments when I wish this podcast was actually like a radio show. It's like, okay, let's interrupt with a song. Like, let's just tell the people what they want to... Like, tell the people what we want to say through a song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I think that, that brings us to a nice closing... Uh, part of this episode um, we will see you guys or rather we will you guys will hear us if you choose to <laughs> in the next episode this uh, is allowed to see the light of day <laughs> uh, signing off I am Malik and I'm Steph we'll see you guys in the next episode see ya bye bye